0: Hi, I'm Steve Mileto from the Teaching Learning Leading K-12 Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
1: Welcome to Reflect Ed, the podcast where I share my perspective on the challenges and successes that are taking place in our schools and focus on goal setting and plans for future improvement. Through rich conversation and meaningful dialogue, we will discuss practical ways to make schools better for students and educators. Welcome to Reflect Ed. This is Reflect Ed live. I'm here with Dave Frangiosa. This is episode 18 of Reflect Ed, and I'm excited about this episode because this is something that uh, Dave and I have been talking about for a while. And, and uh, I'll be straight up, one of Dave's specialties here with assessment and, and looking at assessment from different ways. So we're going to talk tonight about how we measure success in our schools and. The reason for this is simple. You know, when you measure success, you're looking at data. You're looking at usually tests and assessments around that. Uh, So Dave and I are going to kind of riff a little bit about what we think of these things. I think it's good. Dave's got a teacher point of view, and he's doing some fantastic things in his classroom around assessment. Uh, And me, as a school leader, uh, I think it's kind of different in my point of view, what I think about school tests, uh, school assessments versus what others may think. So... Before we get going into the topic, let me just quickly introduce my co-host for Reflect Ed Live, and that's Mr. David Frangiosis. So, Dave, hello, sir.
0: How's it going?
1: Doing well, man. I mean, uh, this is a big topic for you. This is something that you absolutely despise, I guess, but love at the same time.
0: Well, I I love the idea of assessment used to drive student learning. Uh, I despise the thought of putting students through something that is meaningless and unfair.
1: Okay. Right. So unfair? That,
0: um, well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but like, okay. you know, it, it's um, this is a big topic and, you know, a lot of schools say their decisions are data driven.
1: Mm.
0: Right. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that's a term that, your district uses, right? All the decisions we're making are data-driven. So I guess if we take a step back before we get to the unfair part, Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? When we talk about data-driven, what data are you talking about? Right. Right? So from my perspective as a classroom teacher, uh, it usually means standardized testing because nobody's paying attention to the data that I'm collecting at the classroom level. Very true. All right. So um, they're looking at state testing. They're looking at things that are reported, um, you know, SAT scores, uh, college admission percentages, graduation rates, standardized testing. Right. So that's all the data that they're talking about. So um, I, I, I guess my question for you is when you're talking about data driven. Right. What are you doing in the administration realm? When, when you're saying those things?
1: So, I mean, for us, where, where I'm at, I, I think data-driven, unfortunately, it goes back to the the, the assessments that we use. Um, we look at the standardized tests in a different way. So maybe it's not the NJSLA so much, um, but we use, in our district, we use um, Linkit. Linkit. So we use LinkIt data and, and the different assessments there for, for our students. So we look at that and we kind of figure out where our students are at. So LinkIt has has been a successful, I'm going to say successful, successful successful way of determining how our students match up to their, their peers. Uh, it's based on standards, obviously, so they do that. Data-driven, you know, when we look at talking with teachers, obviously we throw in LinkIt data, but we talk about the fact that you know, what are you seeing as a whole child? I think that's one of the things that we need to start putting forward is that whole child data. I'm going to put it in quotes because you can't measure that as a data as a data form. But I think it's going to be important to look at the student as a whole. You know, a test so, is not just the, the, the only thing.
0: So, I, I you know, I kind of disagree with that a little bit because, you know, we have qualitative and quantitative data. Right. And when we hear data, we're always thinking quantitative, the numbers. Mm -hmm. Right. And what you're talking about is that qualitative data, which, yes, it's harder to um, to categorize. And, like, you know, so when you're making decisions, it's not that we don't get it like we get it every day. Right. Mm -hmm. As, As classroom teachers talk to guidance counselors, CST, like, you know, so we're getting that qualitative data. And when you look at whole child, we have plenty of it. It's just not formatted in a way that's easy for um, districts to make decisions on. When you do climate and culture surveys, right? So I'm sure you do a lot of Likert scale things. But if you have any open-ended stuff, that's qualitative data, Mm -hmm. right? And those are things that you can use. It's just harder to sift through. And a lot of things that we do in education, we're doing for ease.
1: Okay. That that is very, very true. We are always looking for the easy way out. That's why the standardized tests are so successful. It's there. It's put in place. And, and, you know, click, click, click. You get your responses. You know, for for me, though, and I'm going to talk about personally, you know, assessment to me, uh, standardized testing especially, I struggled on all tests. Any test you put in front of me, multiple choice, uh, standards based. Like the only thing I really think I did well on is an essay because I can kind of figure my way around that. But you put, put a test in front of me. When it was the SAT or Regents exams, when I was in New York, I struggled. So it did not show who I was as a real student because I had like, I had anxiety when it came to testing. I still remember to this day sitting in my high school math class, taking their final exam. It was a Regents exam, and I knew what it meant for me. Right, if I didn't pass this test, I wasn't going to get a Regents diploma in New York State. What did it mean? Nothing. But still, I needed a regents diploma, right? Because I was in New York State and I was going to a New York college. I was sitting in that class sweating profusely because I was just nervous of the result. So what I did in the classroom for the entire year was totally negated. I passed the class. Good for me. Got to be. But that one exam that is going to say whether or not I get a regents diploma, whether I get an extra stamp, on my high school diploma, I, I couldn't do it. I had to take the test again because I did, I, don't, I don't think I passed it because I was in fear the entire time. So what does that show for me? We're talking about data. What is the data on A.J. Bianco as a high school kid, as a 10th or 11th grader? What does that show? I got to be in the class, but man, this guy can't take a test to, to get to the region's level.
0: And, you know, that that's kind of what I was talking about when uh, I was saying unfair. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, it and I know I bring up Michael a lot, but Michael Weingarth, um, you know, Penelope Education dot com. And uh, he's at Learning Pillars. He has a really great post that summarizes the history of standardized testing, especially like the uh, SAT and IQ tests Um but it, it shows how problematic they can be, right? And there's really standardized tests fall in, into two categories. You either have norm-referenced, which are um, the most problematic, uh, or you have criterion-referenced, right? So when you're talking about norm reference tests, what that's doing is it's creating a bell curve and it's comparing students to other students based on that bell curve. So a certain percentage of students have to be below proficient, regardless of how well they know something or how they perform, right? And some tests, some common tests that are still used that are norm referenced, IQ tests, SAT, LSATs, MCATs, GREs, right? So mm-hmm. when you talk about, um, you know, some exams that are for admissions into like secondary schools, like you know, so grad schools, right? right? right. Um, so they're norm reference, which means they're holding down at least half of of the population right um you know when you look at a p tests they're they're scored in a very similar manner, right mm-hmm. so there's only so many fives mm-hmm. right not everybody can get a five it's norm reference, and right. so you know um those are problematic for a lot of reasons because it doesn't show what students know. So if we're using that data, right, you can have somebody who actually crushed the test, but like other people just did better. Mm-hmm. So now they're proficient or below proficient, you know, and that's just not fair. Right. And if we're using that data to, um, you know, do uh, grade schools, right. Which, um, you know, that that's tax dollars and funding. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how the formulas work across the country, but here in New Jersey, right, your test scores drive, you know, your taxes and your taxes or your funding, Correct. you know, so property values um, hinge a lot on these test scores. So there's a lot on there. Right. Now, criterion reference is a little better. All right. Um, so here, you're not judged against anybody else. You're judged on how well you do on that test you know based on the information that they want you to know but some of the the challenges there is if you have a student who has anxiety right this is still a time test so you know um that doesn't work so well for them right a lot of these tests are geared towards auditory processing you know they're there's not a lot of visual or visual spatial so you know we're kind of biased towards uh, students that are very strong in auditory processing. So, um, you know, it's a lot of things that, and once again, it's for ease, right? So they do these things for ease. Um, you know, quick scores, turn it around, like, you know, get that data that you need to make decisions. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that data is kind of hollow, it's thin, you know, um, it doesn't really give you a whole picture of that student. So, um, The other challenge that I have with it is as a classroom teacher, um, I've never seen the data on the students that I currently have. I've never seen anything that would help me help the students in front of me. So, you know, is there a better way?
1: So there's there's so many things that I kind of want to focus on here. And I I don't want to go too deep. And we wanted to keep this like part one not not we could talk about this for hours probably um you talk about with the norm reference tests that you know they're set up to i I guess separate right you know of the crop what are they separating like let's i want to dive into this for a second what are they separating are they separating what you know versus your peers are they separating you know um who can take a test? Are, like, what do you, what do you, cause you, this is the unfair part. So what are norm references okay. separating?
0: Loaded, loaded question.
1: I know it is. And that's why I asked it.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you look at something like, um, you know, SAT prep, right. Um, you can pay, I think it's like 1500 bucks to guarantee you a 1400. Right. So, whoever has 1400 bucks or 1500 bucks, you know, they're, they're guaranteed a better score. Right. So what are we really measuring? We're measuring access, right? So in some regards we're we're measuring, do people have the financial capability? Do people have, um, the access to support and help and tutoring, right? Do, um, you know, do they have parents at home that are actually knowledgeable on these subjects where they can help them through it? So a lot of times these standardized tests aren't really a measure of knowledge. It's a measure of performance and access, right? So, um, knowledge and performance are, are two different things, right? So, um, you know, and, People will argue that, well, if you know it real well, you'll be able to perform. Not necessarily. Like when I talked before, like if people are geared towards visual spatial processing and everything's geared towards auditory processing, well, you know, they're not going to do so well. Right. You know, so we don't see a big mix of types of questions and and it's getting better on some of these, you know, um, and, you know, th- there are some tests that are better than others. But, um, you know, it's still not a great measure. And when you're talking about time tests, um, people who have access to accommodations, people who get a diagnosis for a a learning disorder, right, they'll get extended time. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, you know, we have a lot of people who are undiagnosed. And so they're not getting the services and it's just not a level playing field all around. So, you know, we say it's data driven and we want to make it seem like we're doing things based on something that we know anything about. When
1: in reality, it's just a whole bunch of smoke and mirrors. Yes, and and that's true. And And I think another thing that I'm thinking about here is when you look at our exams here in New Jersey, right, we have the NJSLA and we have it for science. We have it for math. We have it for language arts. Right? Why those three is beyond me. So when I was in New York, and this was over-testing, and I I think they still do it this way. We had the regents exams. We had a regents for every subject we were taking. Every subject. So math, social studies, science, language arts, and language, world language. So you had your regents exams. And you practiced those from middle school through high school you take those like it's 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 so it's it's set up for success but really it's very easy to just to fail and like with the NJSLA you know what's on the test you prep for the test so if you're prepping for the test what is the point if i can sit here and say you know math test is coming up here's what we need to know this is what's going to be on the test Let's study it. What, what What's the point? Why are we doing well, these tests?
0: Sure. I, I'll, I'll tell you what the point is. The point is ranking and sorting. Right. So these tests are yep. very good at skimming off the top. Yep. Right. So if you have a norm reference test, of course, the people who score best are going to perform best at the next level. Right. Because like, you know, you, you're ranking people against them, but like you're not giving other people a fair shot. It's. You know, it's not really assessing everything. And, you know, so I philosophically education, like schooling has not really been meant to teach every child. It hasn't. Right. And regardless of any of the programs that they put out there, I don't care. No child left behind race to the top. Any of that nonsense. Right. Mm -hmm. None of it is actually meant to teach every kid. Right. And so, like, these things are still in place to where, OK, let's just skim off the people on the top that we want to, you know, incorporate into society and the rest of them. Well, you know, let, let's see what happens to them. You know, it's, it's not they're not the
1: focus, you if know, you're say, if you're saying rank, rank and rank and sort. Right. Mm-hmm. Do they are they ranking the high achievers or are they trying to rank the, the middle? So they know, because look, let me let me let me go back for a second. When we look at data, right? We say, okay, here's our high achievers. So if you're watching us right now, you know, high achievers are up top. Then you say, oh, here's our lower kids who, who who struggled. We know what to do with these higher kids; just keep teaching them and push them forward. Our lower kids, we know these are the skills they need to work on. The data is showing us that our lower students are struggling in this area here and there and there, right? But then we're, we got we got stuck in that middle so what are we ranking what are we sorting what are we trying to get rid of are we trying to push the high achievers up and push the lower kids into the middle or are we trying to just know that because look we talk about differentiation standardized test does nothing for differentiation right the entire school year our job is differentiate help the kids find out who they are as a learner but in the end we say here's your computer you're all going to take the same exam Some of you are going to do really well. Some of you are going to do pretty crappy.
0: Well, all right. So I have a couple of problems with that. And the first one is labels, right? So high achievers, low achievers, right? So just the, the instant we put labels on students, you know, we are dooming them to whatever that label is. Yep. All right. So like that, that's my first thing. And so when we say rank and sort, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, here's our high flyers. Here are the kids that struggle, right? And the instant you do that, that's what they identify with. And it's problematic for both ends of the spectrum, right? So for your your A students, the ones who identify as A students or high-achieving students, right? Anything less than perfection is failure. And that so is... So sad. sad. It is. It is. But like anything less than perfection is failure. And that stops them from taking risks right? It, I mean, cranks up their anxiety, Oh yeah. Um, you know, and then when you go to the other end of the spectrum and you say, oh, they're struggling learners. Well, hey, yeah, of course I can't do this. I'm a struggling learner, right? Like this is way beyond anything I'm capable of, which is the furthest, furthest thing from the truth, right? So when we say rank and sort, when we're putting these labels on them, we're, we're dooming them to like it's a scarlet letter, right? Where they're wearing that, that's how they're identified. And that dictates the opportunities that they have. Okay. Right. And so when you dictate the opportunities, so, you know, high achieving students get more opportunities, they get pushed, they, right. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, we lower the bar for, struggling students and like you know we give them stuff that we think they can handle and that's a disservice because you know they'll they'll outperform your expectations if you just remove the labels right so the way we talk about students determines the way that we think about students and the way we think about students determines the way we treat students and the way we treat students determines how successful they'll be Right. So my first problem is the labels. Right. Mm -hmm. And then my second challenge is like, you're right. Every student is different. All right. So they need different things. They need different things on different days, even Mm -hmm. like the same kid. Mm -hmm. So like taking this snapshot in time where we have nothing to compare it to for that student. And we shouldn't be comparing them to anybody other than themselves. That's right. All right. So we're, we're looking at one day out of a year, mm-hmm. you know, and that doesn't tell us anything.
1: No.
0: Right. So. What's a better what's a better use of data? What's better data? Right. Is it classroom level data? Right. But we look at when we talk about classroom level data, what are we looking at? Right. We're most of the time people look at grades. So, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, when we think about grades, when we think about tests in general, we look at classroom data, you know, it's very easy to argue that one of the questions that we, we talked about is do we trust teachers with classroom data? You have to say yes, but at the same point, it's very easy to say that a teacher can kind of sway it in a way that makes the kids rise and achieve, and it makes the teacher look good. Like, it's very easy to make a, make a test that's like, okay, the day before we're going to review for this test. And you go through every single topic on the test and just change the questions when you give them the actual test. So, you know, if you are reviewing good, well enough, you know, you're going to get a good grade. So if you're, you know, talking about trust, like, like oh, well, look at the data. The kid got a 90 and here's all his work, right? Got a 90 because, again, just like we do for standardized tests, you prepped them exactly for what it needed to know. So I I think there's more to it.
0: I think there's more to it than that. Of course, you know, of course, because like if you were to actually have a conversation with any teacher, regardless of the grade that a student got in their class, they're going to be very honest about the things that that student does well and the areas of opportunity for that student. Right. Right. They're very in tune to what that student needs. The grade. And here's where you're a 100 percent correct they are wildly inconsistent, Mm -hmm. right? Even the teachers that have the best of intentions, right? Um, Grading, a lot of it is completely arbitrary. And and there's so many non-academic factors that go into it that when you're using that classroom level data, if all you're using is that grade, Right. right? And think about how we do recommendations for courses. Right. Your prereq is, well, you had to have, You know, a B or higher in this course in order to get into that course. Now, once again, if you have a teacher that gives extra credit for bringing in tissue boxes or gives class participation grades and you have another teacher that's strictly, um, you know, achievement and like what you know and can do. Right. That grade is going to be lower, yep. but that student is actually going to perform better. So, you know, like when we look at that classroom data, like it it's not equal.
1: No. And, right? and like we look at project based learning as the the answer to the assessment question. Right. Project based learning is going to put us in a situation where we can get away from tests. I know you eyes, but I like hear me out for one second. And I'm going to argue that for a second. Like, you have to do it correctly. If you're going to do project-based learning, you can't just say, okay, well, we're going to make a project, arts and crafts, right? We're going to make a project, and here's my rubric. So what's the rubric look like? How is your rubric different from down-the-hall rubric? What is on the rubric? Is it content-based? Is it grammar-based? Is it arts and crafts-based? Is it, you know, so, like, you can look at a rubric and say, okay, you have all elements you have spelled correctly, you have added, you know, beautiful color, you have, you know, handed, sure. h- handed in on time, right? How does that show this student that he learned that they're growing, that they're successful having color and ending in on time does not say, you know, your math, you know, your social studies, but
0: also does it leave space for all the different abilities, Right. And so a lot of times when we're developing this criteria, we're developing it based on our preconceived notion of what things should be and where students should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and don't get me wrong. We need to have learning targets. I'm I'm not saying this is, this is a free for all, but you know um, there are students who process information differently. Right. Um, And there are certain things that because of those processing differences take some students longer than they take others. Right. Um, Some students can show their knowledge one way better than they can another. And, you know, so it's just, you have to leave space in order to do that. So if we're doing project-based learning and it has to be this specific product and only this product, right then that's not really assessing what all students know and can do. Right. right? So, right. you know, and you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, like when you talk about the reason I rolled my eyes is people say, Oh, I'm doing project based learning. Yeah. Like you're telling them step by step, this is what to do. So or like, you, you know, right. mm-hmm. I, I mean, just because you can, you can make like a marshmallow model of a DNA molecule doesn't mean that you know what DNA is. exactly, you know, right. Uh, so, like that—that that term "project-based" has become kind of a catch-all, and you know, people use it so much that it's kind of lost its meaning. You know, um, but we need to have different opportunities. Yes, projects should be a, a big part of that, but they should be relevant, right? Um, th- th- there should be some kind of connection. There, like, we should have transfer opportunities where it's, you know. Recall is important, but like it's it's also important to extend that transfer, do other things with it. Right. And that's something that standardized testing can't capture, you know, um, not not effectively. Um, You know, it's something that a, a grade alone can't really capture. It's all that qualitative data, which isn't really easy and efficient right it it takes communication right people have to talk right and you have to trust teachers it's just you know the prerequisite is like i'm recommending them for this class or you know down the line we do away with tracking
1: Mm.
0: right and i mean that's a whole nother conversation
1: yeah that's maybe part three
0: yeah, and, and look, I mean, it's doable, but like the the problem that we have with that conversation right now is that all of these other metrics of how we measure success don't align with tracking, right? So we have to get all those other metrics in line first mm-hmm. to where like we know how to identify where students are in their progression and identify how to support them in future learning. And then you know we could detract. We could have everybody of all abilities in the same room because it wouldn't really matter. We just support them differently. You know they'd have the same opportunity, just be supported differently.
1: Yeah. No, I got you. And I'm, and I think that the, the biggest problem is I don't I don't think people are understanding how we can do this. Right? I don't think people understand how schools can actually change. I don't think people see the possibilities that are out there because they're so caught up into, well, we've never done that when we were students. They're unsure. They, they, the outside, People outside of education are unsure of the changes that can be made. They, they don't want to get rid of what has always worked. You know. Well, and the question is, worked for who? Right, and I was going to say, at the beginning of the conversation, you said school is not for everybody. And that's the way school was made. School was made for um, school was made for people who were not working, right? People who were supposed to learn so they can take over a business. People who had the ability to, you know, leave the farm or leave the, the factory. You know, school was not mandatory. School was an option, and it was an option for those who could, who can, who can take that time. You know, now. It's not an option now. It's mandatory, but it still is not made for everybody because we still use the same system. We still use bells. We still have early starts. We still have, you know, problems with with looking at sports versus where the day begins. We still have problems with with grading. We still have problems with testing. We still have problems with, you know, the overall goal of what school should do for our kids. So, the change happens so slowly, mainly because no one knows. How to make that change to be successful. They're so afraid of changing something that could really be beneficial. And it could, partly. And it could, with standardized tests.
0: And like the other part of it is there are people who actively don't want it to change. Yeah. Well, well, uh, can
1: can we just say, and I, and I look, a company like Pearson, if this changed, how much does Pearson pay for New Jersey tests alone? 300 million dollars yeah is that what is that what they get for for the tests like come on like
0: well yeah testing is a billion dollar industry right so but i'm talking even beyond that like beyond beyond the testing companies but like you look at legislators right um pushing some pretty strict laws right and then pushing for voucher schools they're they're really trying to you know Sink public education in in some places. Yeah. Right. And like go to those voucher schools, go to private schools so that like they can funnel their money to the education that they think their kids deserve. Right. And so uh, you have some people who are actively fighting against an inclusive education that actually values, as you said before, the whole student Mm -hmm. identifies where they are and gives everybody a path towards learning. Right. And now, as educators that's what we value mm-hmm. as a system i don't know how many people you know i know there's a lot of people who would like to see it change and become that but you know there's probably close to as many that don't want that to happen
1: right right it's it's a fair statement and uh yeah i don't, I don't know if you want to keep going with this dave i i like i said like we said at the beginning this is very small piece of sure uh, of a of a much larger meal, right? Yeah,
0: we can't unpack it all tonight. No,
1: and there's no there's no way we can. But there, there's still plenty of things that we can discuss. So I'll, I'll give you the opportunity. Anything else that you want to kind of throw on the table there? Anything else you want to discuss? Put it out there for the people to think about going forward as as we continue our reflect Ed live conversations. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I I mean, I guess anybody listening, if you could get back to us and how do you know where your students are, what they need, and how do you get them there?
1: I think that's a fantastic question. I think we should put that out there to the masses and see what kind of responses we get. And we can kick off the next episode of Reflect Ed Live in two weeks. So I think, what do you think? We can do that in 21st? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so there we go. So I think we're going to tackle that question um, for the 21st. We'll be back April 21st, 9 p.m. We're going to tackle the question Dave just threw at you. So let us know. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on LinkedIn. Dave, how can they find you, please?
0: At David Franjosa on Twitter. Uh, and then I uh, have a whole bunch of resources. You can go to uh, reimagineschools.com. Um, there's the, the blogs, the
1: podcasts, like all that stuff's there. And don't forget the name of your podcast, Dave, please.
0: Uh, the name of the podcast is From Earning to Learning.
1: There you go. And if you would like to reach out to me, please feel free to tag me on Twitter at ajbianco. Same thing on Instagram and LinkedIn as well. You can find us there with all this stuff. This podcast is out for you. If you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, join us at Reflect Ed Pod on Twitter. And you can you know, find us anywhere you want to. And, and leave that comment. Let us know what are you doing for your students. And we're going to kick off the conversation again, April 21st, 9 p.m. With that in mind. So thank you for checking us out. We appreciate you joining if it's your first time. Welcome. If you've been here before, appreciate the support. And we will see you. Two weeks. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you for listening to Reflect Ed. If you have a question or like to connect, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at AJ Bianco. If you're finding value in this podcast, please help spread the word to other educators. You can subscribe, leave a rating or review, or share on social media with your takeaway and thoughts. Make sure to tag me and at Reflect Ed Pod so we can keep the conversation going. Talk to you soon.